The theme for this evening's talk is uh, it's the Dharma that counts. <coughs> Sometimes when we've uh, uh, introduced to something uh, uh, rather new and perhaps uh, unfamiliar. Uh, it is not only an adjustment in the uh, uh, forms and day and the timetable, but also, and equally, it can be an adjustment in language as well. And so it is not unusual uh, in a uh, flexible uh, culture as ourselves for new and relatively fresh themes and concepts to uh, come into our social environment. And one which is certainly taking root in recent years is the word Dharma, D-H-A-R-M-A in the Sanskrit, and in the Pali, a sister language of Sanskrit, D-H-A-M-M-A. And it has uh, essentially four uh, meanings, each and every one of them is rather appropriate and uh, relative to our uh, life and circumstances. And the first, and in its most common usage, is a word for teachings. But, but teachings which have a very expressed purpose in mind, and that is the full emancipation and awakening of the human being. And we might ask and say to ourselves, so what does that mean? What's the relevance uh, of that? And that uh, manifestation and the, the steps towards that uh, reflects itself and shows itself in uh, ethical considerations. One of the most important injunctions that a human being could ever hear and ever listen to is the time-honoured one of treating others as we wish to be treated. If men and women on this earth just took this single statement to heart and single statement to mind, the world would be unrecognisable. Just on one sentence, to treat others as we wish to be treated. And with the support and the uh, fundamental integrity uh, of that, comes uh, meditation, awarenesses, mindfulnesses uh, in, in daily life. And uh, the third is wisdom, is insight. Insight into what? Insight into oneself, insight into life, insight into the nature of things. Sometimes we uh, substitute the uh, word spiritual, but I've made a small vow with my uh, myself to uh, try to drop um, as much as possible the word spiritual from uh, my vocabulary. I have a suspicion it's like strawberries. It's, it's going to have a rather short shelf life. And, and we hear it so often and so uh, frequently that it uh, can be a little bit conceited in life to label and define ourselves as spiritual or, or others, and even more offensive to describe somebody as being not spiritual. So I think one needs to take a little uh, watchfulness and uh, care with the word which has got uh, an alarming frequency of use. So Dharma teachings are concerned with ethical foundations, concerned with depths of meditation, and concerned with wisdom, wisdom teachings. One feature of, of Dharma. 
And therefore we ask ourselves with our day-to-day -day life, are these three, uh, these areas of Dharma, of teachings, actually operating in our daily life? Whether we use the concept or not is uh, secondary to that. And sometimes we say, oh, how can I bring the, fit the Dharma into my daily life? But as one of the uh, teachers, uh, Harry Cohen, uh, said um, when he was teaching with Shadra and I a year or two, year or two ago, we've got it the wrong way around. It's not fitting the Dharma into our life, it's fitting our life into the Dharma. And that's a whole different kind of ball game. Another meaning of the word uh, Dharma, too, means the nature, nature of things. And in the uh, uh, nature uh, of things, it's the way things manifest, the way things show, the way things reveal themselves. It's the Dharma of life. And thirdly, everything is a Dharma. Sometimes it's rather a, can generate a rather a, a warm and lovely feeling inside. We live in the Dharma. Every item, everything, every moment, every molecule, every person, every tree, flower, or whatever. It's all Dharma. Everything's a revelation, a confirmation, an establishment of what Dharma is. So our life is spent, whether we realize it or not, living in the ocean of the Dharma. And uh, sometimes in uh, all of that, and the feeling and the sense for all of that, Therefore, it embraces even the pains of life. It all belongs to the Dharma of life. It embraces birth and death. It, em it embraces the coming and goings of, of things. And of course, essentially, the Dharma points, if we go deeply into the ocean of life, to an extraordinary liber liberation from I and my, from ego. In the teachings, uh, uh, of, of the Dharma, whether as uh, teachings, as uh, the nature, as everything is a Dharma, as uh, the way things manifest and uh, reveal, them, reveal themselves, still takes a lot of meditation upon. We're meditating here on the Dharma of life. We're exploring, we're going into the Dharma of life. And sometimes in all of that little confusion, if I uh, may say with regard uh, to this, and then I'll speak a little bit more about our day here today, that in that we hear the word vipassana, here's an, another mouthful, and sometimes people very understandably have a great difficulty in remembering how to pronounce it, and we get vipassana and vipassana and all sorts of wonderful and magical pronunciations of, of this uh, word. And I remember years ago at one of the uh, teacher meetings that we had, you know, um, um, on bended knee, pleading for it to be uh, shortened to, to the word VIP meditation. <laughs> There's Zen meditation, why not VIP meditation? <laughs> and then I thought, VIP. VIP. <laughs> Meditation for VIPs. <laughs> so, but that I, th I suspect they were just clinging to the past, but anyway, they, they, <laughs> my great insight was turned down. So, some of us prefer to uh, use <laughs> the word insight 
because that's what it means, and I speak English. So, <laughs> so teachings, so in the body of meditation and in the practice and the application of uh, med meditation, there is meditation, it's important, meditation for calmness. And many meditations, visualization meditations, uh, mantra meditations, energy meditations, uh, and these meditations here are intended very wisely and appropriately as a contribution to real calmness. There is too much exhaustion in our daily life, there is too much stress, too much pressure, too much tension, and essentially too much doing, doing, doing. We're obsessed with doing. And therefore the meditations do actively contribute to calmness, to relaxation, to the reduction of stress. And that thread and feature, of course, does run through our sitting, uh, walking and sitting, medi uh, standing meditations. But it's insight meditation. It is insight meditation. And with calmness, it can be, as it were, environmentally cultivated, environmentally supported. But the function of insight to see clearly into, in this case, our existence, is actively to influence and impact and affect the, the unsatisfactory aspects and features of the inner life. So that we have understood something through the meditations. We have come clear about something through the meditations. We have, we have um, looked into the personality structure, we've seen what our experiences are, and we have responded to that. And it is possible, and it's not unusual, obviously, to pass through meditative days here, feel actively, feel the benefit of it, but then to, to leave, to go to one's respective home, and to feel, well, the calmness is going, the uh, comfortableness is going, the, the clarity uh, is, is going. And it, still it's an acknowledgement that one has the potential for it, but it's a potential which is being fulfilled through the environment, through the atmosphere, through the, the beauty of this rural situation, through the teachings, through the forms. But what we're here to understand, and here to be as clear as possible about, is the combination of calmness with insight. And the insight, the clarity about, and the understanding of, that will make the difference. Calmness will make a difference here. The insight and understanding will make a difference, hopefully, to the last breath goes out of our life. And the Buddha once said, made this beautiful, I mean, uh, many hundreds and hundreds of um, stories and metaphors that he gave, one of my favourites, the most beautiful one. He said, the body uh, is like a castle, and the castle has five windows in it, eyes, ears, nose, tongue and touch. And through the windows, oh, and the lord of the castle is awareness. And through each of the windows, those five windows, come two messengers. And the two messengers are calm and insight. And he said, what do these two messengers bring, messengers bring to the lord of the castle? 
they bring the message of enlightenment. Beautiful, just beautiful, absolute, precious, precious. So here we, yes, much of the day, hopefully, is a genuine contribution towards calmness and the energy and the renewal and the health and the inner sense of well-being and contentment that it can bring in, in each and every one of our lives. But also it requires that support of insight. It's insight meditation. But even bringing the two together here, it mustn't be such that it kind of overshadows the totality of Dharma teachings. And therefore, when we speak of insight meditation, when we speak of uh, vipassana, we're speaking of it, of course, as a tradition, because it reminds us, essentially, of the very profound importance of sitting and facing our existence in the silence, of walking and facing our existence. And that's a hardcore teaching of, uh, of the tradition, and it must never get faded for any substitute. But it's also, Vipassana belongs to the Dharma. It belongs to the wide body of teachings, the wide body of an investigative life, which is remorseless, remorseless in its determination to awaken our existence. That we live and we know we live an existence which is awake. So, therefore, let us see, as it were, the uh, a major spoke and a very important one in the great wheel of the Dharma of Vipassana. But no, let's not kind of highlight it or prioritize it to such a degree we lose the overall vision of things. It's a wonderful tool, a wonderful resource, but it's a resource, as the Buddha makes abundantly clear, in the totality of Dharma teachings. And sometimes we, we ask everything of our sitting and walking meditation to do everything, to resolve everything, to make clear uh, uh, everything. It's an important feature. But you and I, we don't spend every day of our life on a retreat. We don't spend every day of our life sitting on the cushion or on the chair in meditation. So calmness and insight. Insight and uh, uh, calmness to remind and deepen our understanding of the essential uh, aspect of things. In the small group uh, meetings today, which take place uh, regularly through the uh, retreat, of course the normal concerns uh, at the beginning of a retreat uh, do uh, arise, and there are a number of you here who are here on retreat for the first, first time. And others, uh, of course, are experienced uh, in, in the field of meditation. And it's not unusual, of course, particularly uh, with the first day, in the looking and examining of uh, uh, oneself, uh, to sometimes to have a kind of backlog. And this backlog is what we have carried and what we are carrying from history, from our own uh, history. And so, with all the goodwill and the good intentions that take place, right on the first day, sometimes is, there's kind of been a backlog of accumulation, called karma in the tradition, the backlog of accumulation, and we start sitting and walking in the silence, and suddenly, as a number of you uh, spoke and reported in the small groups, there's a kind of rush upon one's self. A rush of 
past events impacting upon the present. And therefore, it can seem like a day of not much calmness, none whatsoever. In fact, not much uh, insight and a kind of a struggle uh, uh, through the day. And then to make um, uh, matters uh, worse, one is here in um, California and bitterly regretting that one forgot one's thermals. So, not only is the, the, the outer circumstance and the outer uh, situation tough and, uh, uh, and the climate outside is tough and uh, hard enough, but the psychological and the emotional climate is uh, also there and, and one is in a day, and it's a day of a, a struggle which is, uh, which is taking place. And it's not something, obviously, which we... Uh, decided we didn't wake up this morning and we say, okay, um, today I'll have a, 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 a day totally involved in struggle with my existence. <laughs> and that uh, there's just the accumulation of issues and conditions and circumstances, and out of it comes the impact. And the impact is a uh, it's for some of you, of course, a, a rather uh, difficult day, which m tends to make a, 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 a mockery of, um, of, of uh, choices. I say this often, it makes a mockery of choices, of the notion of choices about things that really matter. Wisdom makes a difference. So there's the experience of these uh, uh, which is uh, uh, taking place. And sometimes, as we notice with the impact of things, that the mind... Uh, with electric uh, speed, uh, uh, the, the Buddha, the great lover of similes, uh, 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 um, um, confessed. He said, I can't think of a simile to uh, compare the speed of the mind when it latches onto something. Couldn't think of a, a simile, and, 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 and he was in love with them. So, sometimes the mind moves with electric speed onto something during the day, or someone, of course, it's the other popular favourite, <laughs> and <laughs> latches, latch, in know, um, uh, 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 latch, latches uh, uh, on, you know, I just thought of a simile, it's called... <laughs> No, 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 sorry. <laughs> Bad joke. <laughs> but the mind moves and takes up something and uh, sticks on it like superglue and in grabbing uh, hold of something. And so there's very little, again, sense of presence and being and con uh, uh, contact with the day. And one is fastened and stuck onto something. And the mind goes over and over and uh, over uh, again. And what's going to break that loop? What's going to, going to uh, uh, change that? And there's a strange self-deception that occurs when uh, heart, mind, feelings, moods, thoughts, or whatever, have got a, a grip on something. And it's not uncommon in the movement of the mind in that turmoil and in that state that the deception that's taking place is one believes one wants to be free from it. One believes that one wants to understand it. 
one believes that one, that one wants to be clear about it. And, and this kind of, as it were, background uh, I, I, idea uh, becomes the reason to be for its perpetuation. So one keeps thinking about it and going on about it and, and getting stuck with it and going around and around uh, it. And, and there's a kind of view, as I said, which kind of gives one thing. Well, that, that, that I'm trying to... W- this is the old favourite here, the old chestnut. I'm trying to work it out. And yet it seems that no sooner as one gets to a point where one might be able to stop, that a little glimpse of understanding comes, a little little glimmer of insight about it, and it's just beginning to come in, a little bit of clarity, and then one straight back into it. So it becomes extraordinarily difficult in the turmoil to know what's insight and what's thinking about. What's making something clear and what is just perpetuating this painful uh, wheel. That's when we need the calmness, we need the relaxation, we need every bit of contact with our breath that we can make, we need every awareness of the here and now that's available to us, we need to keep our eyes and ears open to the max, all of which can have and generate just enough space that even if the mind is going around on something of past, present or future, here or there, that if some clarity comes about it, some insight comes about it, it stops the mind. It stops it. We see clearly and we can rest with what we see. And therefore that insight might be, might be, an insight into something which needs to be changed and the mind has the power, the energy and the determination to follow it through. Or the insight might be, it is something which needs to be accepted One sees clearly, whatever the circumstance, in some situation, this is one which is acceptance. And all my fuss in my mind, and all that's going on in my mind, is basically resisting something which has to be accepted. Therefore, uh, insight, not for everything, is at times what needs to be changed, and having the capacity to follow that through. At times it's around something which needs to be accepted and in that acceptance the mind can find uh, a cooling out and a peace with itself. I'm not saying it's easy, but at least it's honest. At least it's honest. In that, um, in uh, 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 c- um, coming here, one of the things which we forgot to uh, mention um, uh, yesterday uh, evening, uh, which uh, uh, Shard and I were teaching in various places, is the um, um, no smoking rule and uh, the general kind of principle uh, which uh, goes on uh, with regard uh, to this is that we have um, uh, on the retreat a complete um, no smoking zone and, 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 and partly as you know the um, tobacco industry is certainly one of the most successful at uh, killing off its customers and, and putting them into hospital and causing all sorts of anguish as well for friends and loved ones uh, uh, etc. So the no smoking zone um, we, we uh, uh, suggest is um, 
uh, exactly um, 100 miles from the centre of the meditation hall. <laughs> so if any of you really are feeling like a, a fag during your days uh, here, you, you're encouraged to go to your car. Check the mileometer. And we don't mind what direction. We're, we're, you know, we're not too restrictive. And, uh, but this, this we had, had actually, and our apologies, we had actually forgotten to uh, mention. So the thoughts did arise uh, 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 today uh, that um, in quite a few uh, areas, and, and to the credit, I may say, just take a point, a moment on this, to, of, of uh, California, which was a great inspiration for many other parts of the world, incidentally, to uh, implement uh, no-smoking areas and, and uh, uh, regions and offices and airlines adopting this, etc. And many of the centres, uh, Dharma centres around the world, um, have as well. And so what I thought uh, was, the idea that I had was, um, um, this may not, amongst the many things which the, the Board of Directors has to consider at Spirit Rock, um, may have overlooked this one. And uh, therefore, I thought it would be very good, I'm sure you, you will all agree without exception, um, to a proposal uh, that um, in all the land area of Spirit Rock is a no-smoking zone completely for all um, 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 teachers, uh, they dare they smoke, and um, managers, and uh, yogis, and visitors for workshops and talks, uh, every, every, everybody. So what I uh, 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 thought uh, with regard to this, that perhaps two, two of us um, uh, should uh, put a proposal to the board and then perhaps uh, uh, Mary Ann, one of the directors here, could uh, put some notices uh, uh, up. So um, I thought two people uh, who have a little uh, authority, so one could be myself and the other who I know will be um, extremely agreeable to the idea, which would be Lizzie, and, uh, <laughs> and, 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 and so as one of the experienced uh, retreat managers, I'm incredibly grateful for your support. Thank you very much, Lizzie. <laughs> And then together, the two of us will write our proposal and we'll give it to the board of directors there. Thank you. <laughs> so, where, where was I before that? <laughs> and in... Um, uh, and the, the flow and the uh, uh, rhythm uh, of things in terms of the, uh, of the, uh, the day it, it itself, too. As I mentioned, and uh, Shadra and I spoke about this with the uh, retreatants uh, last week at uh, IMS, and one of the features and things that we are noticing, and some of you will know this very well and, very, and firsthand from your experiences, and that is how in the very strong demands, which I think come in two directions in our, in our life, uh, one is from outer and one is from within. And that is uh, the demands to do, to be, to succeed, or, or whatever. And rather unfortunately, and all too humanly, in the demands which are, are made upon us, and the demands which we make upon, our, upon ourselves, 
Uh, it, we sometimes substitute, instead of awareness and wisdom, we substitute willpower. And of course, at times, of course, willpower is very important, uh, very appropriate, and, 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 very, and very, very wise. And I mentioned in the small group today, uh, which I know many parents could easily resonate with, one is, uh, uh, wakes up, one has a, a young baby or a young child, and the uh, baby's crying in the night, one wakes up in the night, uh, to attend to the baby. Now, one doesn't wake up with great joy and bliss and enthusiasm. It's clearly an act of willpower to um, get out of bed or to kick the partner out of bed to, to do it uh, and to attend. So there are periods of time in life when uh, willpower is appropriate, but when it's continuous, when, is, when one is doing, doing, doing and using the will to do uh, every day, we are and we will, in fact, get it out of touch with ourselves. The consequences of this is deeper levels, amongst the many other factors as well, of course, environmental and social and, and chemical and hereditary and genetic, of course, I'm aware of those as well. But in the willpower, coupled with other vulnerabilities, it does and easily in contributes to a, uh, an increasing level of tiredness in the body. And one can easily, in that tiredness, can get deeper and deeper. So it can start off with mental tiredness, a lot of work which requires a lot of thinking or a lot of study or a lot of mental focus. It then can be, begin to go deeper into our feeling, into our emotional life. It can go then deeper and then begin to impact, as some of you have reported, into cellular life as well. And then, and then an actual tiredness begins to settle in into the physical life into the cellular life. And sometimes we hardly notice this, we hardly realize it until actually we're on the cushion, until we're actually in a state of silence. And people will often re report to us just how tired they feel, very, very tired. And the tired is in, tiredness is in the body uh, uh, itself. Generally, through the silence, through the uh, wonderful and nourishing diet that we receive, through the meditation, and through the beautiful environment, the renewal begins to come in. And generally speaking, and for most people, very, very quickly. But some, it's a very need, great need for patience in, in this uh, regard. So it is important here, the, in terms of the teachings and the practices, and in our daily life as well, how is our tiredness? And are we extending ourselves too much, too far, too quick, too soon? Is there too much willpower which is um, actively going on with us? And awareness and flow of life and energy and connectedness with things and clarity doesn't actually require a great deal of willpower. And so we begin to notice that there are times when willpower is quite appropriate, as I said, but it seems to be um, from time to time not a norm in day-to-day -day life. Because the, the face of willpower is often coupled with resistance. And if we're doing things, you know, when we say, oh, I hate having to go to work on a Monday morning, I really don't want to have to do this, and I've really overcommitted myself, etc., but I've got to do it. This is all the I, the will, and resistance, and, the, and that can be a real recipe for fatigue and tiredness and disheartedness.
all of this is part of what we are attending to here. And that uh, difficulty is obviously just as common, maybe more so, but certainly just as common to people who are doing wonderful things in this world. Not coming out of egotism and out of selfishness, but can be coming from real service to one's loved ones and service to a society and service to people in, uh, in need. But willpower and driving oneself doesn't pay any respect simply because you're doing good things in life for other people. So even in our doing of good, the teachings have pointed out again and again, still wisdom transcends good and evil. Wisdom is still more significant in life than the attachment to doing good and the uh, resistance to not doing not good. Wisdom comes first in all of this. In all, all of that, of course, there's just normal waves of it which come. And sometimes, for those of you here on your first retreat or, or whatever, you know, may have been sitting during the day in the hall here, and then you, you, you look around and you see the swingitis <laughs> uh, taking place. And sometimes, on, 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 the, on the first day, it, it, one uh, can uh, look around and there can be just columns of people. <laughs> and this can really, and, and, and people who are not for, uh, familiar can, can kind of form all sorts of uh, views about kind of what, what's going on. <laughs> and there are some people, and, and they've asked me that, it's extraordinary, Christopher, on the first day, that so many people in the hall have quickly entered into an utterly altered state of consciousness. <laughs> and, and how can I get to that state? <laughs> and others, uh, well, maybe just think, as many will do, it's just, just tiredness. But I had another actual uh, 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 possibility or insight and it was actually sprung out of a visit. I go annually to Israel and a visit to Jerusalem. And I was standing at the, near the Western Wall, where the Orthodox Jews, the Hasidic Jews, are standing. What are they doing when they're standing? <laughs> right by the wall. So I was watching the heads going backwards and forwards, and I thought, now I understand. <laughs> All those sitting on the cushions, they were Hasidic Jews in their last life. <laughs> and then lots of things came clear. <laughs> Joseph Goldstein, Jack Cornfield, <laughs> Sil <laughs> Sylvia Burstein, Andrew Getz, Shada, she was brought up in a Jewish home. They were all at the wall, <laughs> standing there. <laughs> so at the wall I said, look, you'd better wake up. If you don't wake up, you'll be, be reborn 
as we pass in our meditators in Marin. <laughs> so actually, we just see, it was what, that's what rebirth is. It's a slight change of posture. <laughs> <laughs> uh, too much. <laughs> so in attending to ourselves, in... Uh, uh, looking at our inner in inner life, sometimes we, we you know it's hard to explain what causes what, how the influence and impact of things are, and they take place uh, uh, in our life. And sometimes we spend an inordinate amount of time, an exaggerated amount of time, trying to fathom things out from the point of yesterday and yesteryear. Too much time is spent doing this, trying to get things clear about what was and from what was to what is. What is is what matters. There may be, it may be appropriate, yes, it may be helpful, uh, yes, and it would be a foolish person to uh, dismiss it uh, altogether. But nevertheless, the actuality, the manifestation of what is, is uh, what counts. Can we find in ourselves the capacity and the resources in ourselves and with, the, with each other to handle and to deal with what is and the way that that might be and is uh, showing itself. And therefore, perhaps in putting all of the energy, all of it, maximizing it, the energy of being in touch with the living present, maybe the commitment and the, the passion and uh, the enthusiasm for uh, for that, and the determination for that will give us the insights into the past. It will help to show causal relation, relationships naturally, insightfully and spontaneously. Because sometimes you and I forget. We forget terribly quickly. When we go to memory, something comes with us who is the looker. Something is arising with the observer. And we say, oh, I am looking at my past. I am looking at what has happened to me. A very bold and confident statement that we like to make with ourselves and with each other. But we forget the condition of the rememberer, the looker, the memorizer. And that doesn't come clean as a whistle. That doesn't come pure and untainted and unmarked and unaffected and uninfluenced. It comes with a baggage. And it's extraordinarily hard to know in the mixture of the dynamics of life, as the Buddha pointed out frequently enough, what is and what was. What's arising now and what's precise and accurate in terms of what was. And it's not at all unusual in the mixture of attitudes and intentions and feelings and thought. It's a dependently arising collection. And sometimes we are foolish and conceited enough to say, ah, oh, I'm looking at the past as though we were a pure mirror for what was. Damn it, we can't even get to the past. It's dead, it's history. It's in the dustbin of time. All that we can get is what's coming out of the here and now. 
That's all we can get. There's something wonderfully liberating about it. We meditate on it. So we have the emphasis in Dharma teachings on awareness, yes, of course, on uh, here and now, on the use of form, method and technique, on the appropriateness and the relationship of calm to insight, uh, insight to calm as our two uh, essential uh, messengers, and therefore the Dharma serving each and every one of us as a wonderfully liberating resource. Some of us, and of course people like me would say this, it's the most wonderful resource available to humanity. It's just incomparable. And the tremendous potential uh, that we have. But nevertheless, having said all those nice fine words, there's still the knee pains. There's still the tension in the shoulder. Mind is still wandering. Everywhere on earth is better than Spirit Rock Meditation Center. <laughs> there. The cigarette is still the comforter. Or anything. And yet, in spite of all of, uh, all of that, still, nevertheless, as we well know, two, three thousand years plus of men and women sitting on this earth, one generation after another, actively engaged in this process of being awake, which enables us to accommodate the most extraordinary thing in life to accommodate, and that is our existence. If we accommodate our existence clearly and well, no matter what the condition, clearly and well, the extraordinary and rather breathtaking fact is we have accommodated the entire universe. Everything. We can be comfortable and clear with this in its movement, accommodate it, and the element of accommodation carries with it that which is before birth and after death which embraces both. If we can know that element which accommodates this, we call our existence, we call it ourself, we accommodate all. And teachings are a, a steadfast uh, reminder to all of this. Use the time well. May all beings live with clarity. May all beings live with calm and insight. May all beings accommodate all things effortlessly. So let's have our quiet minute or two together, shall we please?
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.